The title of the message this morning is Kingdom Influence as Seen in the Early Church. At the start of the year, we felt the Lord laid on our hearts the theme of Kingdom Influence, and we're continuing along that theme. I'm finding it to be an exciting theme, and there's so much that the Word of God has to say about this. And talking about how that kingdom influence is seen in the early church, I believe that there is a great deal that we can learn from the early church. There was a vibrancy, there was a power, there was an effect, there was an influence. These guys had gotten a hold of God and were going for it in terms of what God had called them to do. And there's so much that we can learn from them. They were tremendously effective at impacting their world and at spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe today's church needs to rediscover some of those secrets that the early church walked in in order for us to become more effective in the world today. Would you agree with that? Let's have a look at Acts 1, verse 3 to 9. And here Jesus is speaking to his apostles. This is just after his resurrection. He's demonstrating to them that he is alive over a period of days. And it says in Acts 1, verse 3, it says, To whom he, that's Jesus, also presented himself alive. After his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Would you say the kingdom of God? I've underlined, underlined that and highlighted that in my Bible. What was he talking to them about? The kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I've also underlined the kingdom there. And he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power. Would you say the word power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 9 it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine being part of that moment? 
Jesus is talking to you. He's talking to the apostles, the disciples, the couple of people that are gathered around, maybe around about 120. We don't know exactly, but he's talking to them. He's proving to them over 40 days that he is alive. He's eating with them. He's interacting. He's appearing even once to a crowd of 500 people at one time. There was no mistaking it. Jesus was alive. And here he is. He's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And then a few moments later, he just begins to lift off the earth. I mean, what an incredible God. I can just imagine that you're standing there and Jesus begins to lift off. Can you imagine how awe-inspiring that would have been? And he just lifts off and he goes into heaven. Incredible. The Son of God has just left planet Earth. Wow. Now, three points that I want to cover today based on not only this passage, but one or two other passages that we will get to. Point number one. Directly after the resurrection, the kingdom was at the forefront of Jesus' mind and that of the apostles. Let me say that again. Directly after the resurrection, it was the kingdom that was at the forefront of Jesus' mind and that of the apostles. One would have almost thought, well, maybe Jesus would have thought about some other things at that time and He would have been talking to his disciples about other things. Maybe he would have spoke to them about what he suffered in the lead up to the cross. You would have quite easily understood if he had been speaking about that. Or maybe what would have been on his mind and on his lips would have been what was happening when his body was in the grave. Because although his body was in the grave, God was, Jesus was still at work during that time. Maybe he would have been talking about that, or you kind of would have thought that maybe Jesus would be talking about going back to the Father, and he's longing to be with the Father. But no, he wasn't talking about that, his suffering, his time in the tomb, looking forward to being back with the Father. But he was a man on a mission. He was not to be deterred. He stayed focused on his assignment to establish the kingdom of God. It says in verse 3, So on your screen, it says he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and look here, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's what he was doing. That's what he was talking about. And here, after the resurrection, what is on his mind? The kingdom is on his mind. We said in one of our previous messages a few weeks ago that way back in the book of Isaiah, the kingdom was on God's mind. We said that in the ministry of John the Baptist, the kingdom was on God's mind. We said certainly through the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom was on God's mind. And we said today, the kingdom is still on God's mind. But here, it's just after the resurrection, and Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. Here he is, he's spending quality time with his team. Perhaps his dream team. It's a critical time. He's meeting with them regularly over this period of 40 days. What was he saying? What was he speaking? Because surely at this juncture, it would be very important because he's about to leave the earth. And he was talking about the kingdom of God. Surely it was crucial. And surely if Jesus was talking about the kingdom just before he left earth and ascended into heaven, surely 
It should be something of a greater priority in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why I'm speaking about it at the start of the year because I feel that there's something of a greater priority that the kingdom of God needs to realize in our lives. There's something greater about the kingdom that we still need to catch and we still need to see come into our hearts in a greater way. And also in uh, verse 6 of Acts 1, it says, They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they had hoped that he would overthrow the Roman Empire, the Roman government, and that he would set up a physical government. They were tired of being treated as second best, but however, that wasn't about to happen at this time. Now, significant thought is, why were they asking, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? Well, they were asking it probably because Jesus had just been talking to them about the kingdom of God, as it says in uh, Acts 1 verse 3. But they were also asking him about restoring the kingdom because this was Jesus' language. This was on his lips all the time. And I'd like to say this was, in a sense, all he ever spoke about. You might say, John, isn't that a little radical to say that? But in one sense, it was all he ever spoke about because it was his mission. He was here establishing the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom language that he talked about, and I believe it should be our language. I believe it should be our emphasis. We shouldn't be wanting to promote our names and our ministries and who we are we should be wanting to promote the kingdom of God and God's name and his renown. You know, I appreciate something about my late father is that he was never somebody to push his own name and his own ministry. He never started an Ed Rabbit Ministries. There was one or two foundation stones on some of the churches and, uh, that he was responsible for building and he never wanted his name to appear on the foundation stone because he had a kingdom-mindedness about his ministry. He had a kingdom-mindedness. It's not about me. It's about what God is accomplishing through me. And I believe that this city needs to, uh, in, a more, in, a, uh, in a greater and a greater way, we need to all be thinking in a kingdom-minded way. And what took place on Friday night with 40,000 people gathering at Loftus Stadium was a kingdom-minded event. But you know, I'd heard something that had disturbed me in the run-up to it. The Passion guys were on the phone to a pastor in the city, and they were saying, well, listen, as they contacted us and many other churches, they were saying, uh, can we encourage you and come along and be a part of this? We feel we want to come and serve in the city. God is stirring this at this point in time. And, and the pastor said to them, who gives you the right to come into my city and have an event like this? That's what he said. Who gives you the right to come into my city and have an event like this? I thought to myself, there's a lack of a kingdom-mindedness in that regard. We're not living for our own names. We're not trying to build empires. Pastors should never be trying to build empires. We are building the kingdom of God. It is God's name and His renown. Give a hand in, in agreement to that. And that's what I so love about the team from Passion that led us on Friday night in that stadium. But you know, it's all birthed out of a scripture. The scripture on which that ministry is founded is found in Isaiah 26 verse 8. In the NIV Bible, it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name 
and renown are the desires of our hearts. And so I believe that when we have a kingdom-mindedness, a kingdom mentality, it's God's renown that we're after. It's His name. It's the kingdom being furthered. It's people getting saved. It's not what we can get out of it. And so we see through the passage that we've just read that Jesus was talking about the kingdom. The apostles were talking about the kingdom. And therefore, we should be talking about the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Say to the person next to you, you should be talking about the kingdom. Tell them. You should be. Now, point number two of three points I'm sharing with you today. Number two, the power of the Holy Spirit is the single biggest enabler to seeing kingdom influence. This is very important. Why don't you say it together with me? The power of the Holy Spirit is the single biggest enabler to seeing kingdom influence. Please turn on one chapter in your Bible to Acts 2 and verse 1 to 4. This is speaking about the day of Pentecost. Essentially, this is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And it says in Acts 2 verse 1, Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened on this occasion? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On that occasion, they began to speak in other tongues which were uh, understandable by the people from surrounding countries that had come there and they could hear them speaking in their own tongue. But it seems like that was an exception and thereafter, it was speaking in an unknown tongue as Paul refers to it. Now, I don't know what you think when you look at those few verses of scriptures, but this is what I think. We must have the Holy Spirit. Sadly, many believers don't agree with that. But I want to say to you loud and clear, we must have the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you there's a massive difference between a believer and a spirit-filled believer. Now, these apostles that had been walking with Jesus, they were believers in Jesus. But they knew nothing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They knew nothing of it. Jesus had hinted at something like that, that that was to come, but they knew nothing of the baptism, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But they were believers. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I think to myself, we must have the Holy Spirit. And you might ask, why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit so important? And this is why, because it brings the operational power of God into the human vessel, which is needed for us to get the job done of kingdom influence. Let me say that again. It brings the operational power of God into us as human vessels. Because if you haven't already realized that we cannot get the job done on our own. We can't influence the world. We can't take over the world in our own strength. But we have to have the operational power of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is 
the muscle of God. When he comes into a believer, he empowers the believer. Now think about this. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not really important, Jesus would have never sent the Spirit of God, as it says in Scripture, under the authority of Jesus. Think about that. Some people underplay the importance of the Spirit of God, and they don't realize how crucial it is. Because if it wasn't important, the Holy Spirit would have never been sent. But the Holy Spirit was sent because His role is so important in our lives. And that's why we have to allow His Spirit to fill us. Firstly, by an initial baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then after that, by an ongoing being filled with the Spirit. Not being drunk on wine, wearing His excess, but being filled with the Spirit. In Acts 1 verse 8 it says... But you shall receive what power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, when my influence comes upon you, you're going to begin to reach the world. That's the DNA of a spirit-filled believer. You begin to reach the world. That might not be you individually, but we as believers in Christ who are spirit-filled, we all together begin to reach the world. And so this is how it works. The Holy Spirit's power comes, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then spiritual power is received, and then witness becomes effective. Holy Spirit comes upon you. Spiritual power is received. Witness then becomes effective. That's why I say you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, my dad so passionately believed, and he was used by God so many, so for so many years in ministry. My dad so believed in the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he almost disregarded his materials prior to his baptism in the Spirit. My dad had built up lots of tape recordings and audio recordings, video recordings and notes and so on. And sometimes they would come to him and say, Pastor Ed, we've got a lot of this and where must it go and how must it be stored? And he didn't give too much regard for his material prior to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because he says, although it was the Word, it lacked the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Don't worry too much about those tapes. Just put them back somewhere. Put them back in some box somewhere. This is the stuff. From when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, there the power of God was flowing through me, and I began to preach in a different way. The Holy Spirit not only empowers us to be witnesses, but He also enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. He enables us to live a holy life. Do you realize that it is the Holy Spirit that can help you overcome a spirit of anger? It is the Holy Spirit through His power that can enable you to get over that addiction. It is the Spirit of God that enables you to put to, get to death the deeds of the flesh. You might have a situation where you battle with greed, but it is the Holy Spirit that helps you with that, to put that to death. You might excuse me, be listening today and you have a battle with pornography. It is the Holy Spirit that helps you to overcome that. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
Listen to what the scripture says in Romans 8.13. I'll just read it to you. It says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Some of us sitting here today are so beaten down by something that is we're returning to over and over and over again. And I want to tell you that the power of the Holy Spirit needs to be relied upon to help you get over that addiction. He not only comes to help you to be a witness, but he helps you to overcome those deeds. But let me just tell this, you have to put to death those deeds, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Now back to witnessing, we can't be an effective witness on our own. We can't get the job done on our own, but when the Holy Spirit enters the scene, it can all be done. This church that we are reading about, the early church in Acts, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. And that's in Acts 2.41. Soon afterwards, a further 2,000 were added. That's in Acts 4 verse 4. So very quickly, the church grew to 5,000 strong. What do you call that? You call that kingdom influence. Amen? Kingdom influence. This is what we're talking about. This is what we've seen in the early church. All of a sudden, in a short space of time, 5,000 strong was this movement. Now, what's interesting as well is that the influence of the early church was so pervasive that they even began to get this, be accused of turning the world upside down. You know what? I wish the church in this nation and in this city got accused of that. (laughs) May God bring that about, that we get accused, the church in this nation, of turning this nation upside down. And this is what it says in Acts 17, verse 2. It says, they dragged some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down. Would you say that with me? Turned the world upside down, have come here too. Golly, they were actually in fear of the church. Another scripture in Acts 16, 20 says, and they brought them to the magistrates saying that these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. All right, now they were causing a good kind of trouble. But do you see the influence of the church? They were turning the world upside down. They were exceedingly troubled in the city. And basically these guys, these magistrates and so on were saying, they're causing an uproar. They're threatening our religious protocol and establishment. But you know what? The power of God was right behind them. The Spirit had come upon them and He was causing that influence to take place. But isn't that amazing? The same 120 that were huddled up in the upper room We're now turning the world upside down. And I submit to you, the only thing that had changed was the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we cannot underplay the power of the Spirit in our lives. And that's why I pray that you would begin to get a a greater longing in your heart for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important when we gather here on Sundays that we are allowing the Spirit of God to work, to refresh and strengthen us and encourage us so we can be effective as we go out. The Spirit makes the difference. Point number three, it's not a very long one, 
Don't be intimidated. These are the days to step out in Holy Spirit boldness. You know, there's a day that I had to step out in boldness and establish a church. Even although the powers that be said to me, John, don't do it. You, you mustn't do this. You mustn't start this church. People were trying to put pressure on me saying, you shouldn't do this. Can you believe that? What was I to do? Was I to obey God or was I to obey man? And I believe that God gave me Holy Spirit boldness to be able to do what me in the natural could not do. But by his boldness, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to step out and to act on the instruction of the Lord. I was going to obey God, not man. And here in Acts 4, we see that Peter and John had also been threatened to silence. And they had said, stop speaking about Jesus. They had tried to put pressure on them. They say, you guys are causing a ruckus. Stop speaking about Jesus. But Peter and John said, no, no, no. We have to obey God. We can just speak about the things that we have seen and heard. In other words, we will be a living testimony of Jesus. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You might say, John, I'm uneducated. I haven't got a tertiary education. I didn't even get my matric certificate. Well, you're in good company with Peter and John. They began to turn the world upside down as uneducated as they were, but they had been with Jesus, they had a relationship with Jesus, and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so today, stepping out in boldness might mean different things for different people here. For some, it might mean starting a foundation against human trafficking writing an article against ancestral worship, organizing a prayer movement or a prayer march. For others, it might be something far more simple to step out in boldness. And at your point in your life, it might just be being willing to pray in front of somebody else, being willing to pray in your life group, being willing to come up and give a word at the ministry mic, being willing to cook a meal for somebody, been willing to serve in some way. For you, it might mean that your little step of boldness might be to begin to just raise your hands in church and worship. Maybe you've never done that. So boldness might mean different things for different folks today. But I want to tell you, God wants us to be bold for Him. The last verse is on your screen, Acts 4.31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And I want to say to you, don't be intimidated into silence where you are, where you're functioning. In that boardroom that you're in, in that parents association, in that uh, business forum, that business chamber, that, that homeowners association, wherever you are. Don't be intimidated into silence. Take the example of the early church and be bold, be bold, be bold. Because God wants to use you. He has empowered you and you can be effective as a kingdom influence. Would you say aloud, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have called us not to a life which is ordinary, but a life which is exceptional. 
And you have enabled us by your spirit to be a kingdom influence. I pray for people under the sound of my voice that have not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would begin to make them hungry, 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 hungry. That they will not stop unless they get it. I pray for those that have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That they would begin to be filled over and over again. And we just say, Lord, here we are. We make ourselves available to you. For that power and that effectiveness to be your witnesses, to flow through us. Jesus, come live your life through us. And let a great influence be seen in this city. And I just sense the Lord says to me that there are nation changers right here, right now. There are people who are nation changers. There are people who are city changers. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts that we would be those of kingdom influence. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.